Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products. And if you're one of our Aussie listeners, then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left. And their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 174 of the STAGROAR. This episode I'm joined by the absolute legend Dave O'Brien. The first time he was on you guys really really enjoyed it. Um, it was lapped up and um, yeah wealth of knowledge hang on to your hats for this because Dave is knowledge knowledge is second. Um, you might want to listen to this one twice even. <laughs> I'm lucky I get to listen to these things twice and uh, yeah absolutely massive um to have him back on uh and yeah can't wait to get over to melbourne and, and visit some of the the legends that have that have got to meet through instagram and this podcast and um were involved with with that place uh for the element wellness so without further ado enjoy this one make sure you reach out to dave and myself we'd both love to hear from you as always um and enjoy cheers Awesome. We've got Dave O'Brien back. He was hugely successful when he came on the first time. That was 2018. Um, It was was a great run there of uh, Steve Nikolovsky, Mark Kluwer, yourself, Gary Fickey, Belinda Fickey. It was was good times there living in Australia. Mate, I was just saying to you, you uh, clocked lockdown. You decided to extend the family during it. So... You're saying it was only, only 15 days, but still. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said to you, it might, it might have been a little bit over that, but uh, yeah, new addition. Uh, you know, we, we feel really blessed. Uh, we, we had a little baby boy. Yeah. Um, his name is Harlan, and we actually uh, decided to uh, call him after my best friend, who uh, he actually um, unfortunately passed away in New Zealand in the Waikato River. Um, oh, and he actually he actually uh, died two about two months before I opened Fifth Element, and he was uh, one of the uh, biggest motivators for me in terms of like we were like best friends since we were about like four years old. So um, that really uh, that really hit me pretty hard when he passed away, and uh, I remember it's like his his motivation and his words still ring in my ears today um he was he was such a big advocate for what i was about to do and he 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 really did say to me like as long as you're following your passion like everything's Mm going to fall into place and um where you know i didn't necessarily receive that support from everyone and that's fine um but for 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 him it was just that simple if you just keep on if this is what you're really passionate about um and you really believe in it he goes i've got no no doubt it's going to be successful and, um, you know, when he passed away uh, and sort of tragically sort of took his own life, unfortunately, yeah, um, it, just, it just hit me really hard. But I also 
which is a huge motivator for me, Ryan. It's such a huge motiv- motiv- motivator for me because I just didn't want anything like that to happen to anybody else. Mm. Um, and I also wanted wanted him to know that I really like everything that he said to me and, and his belief in me was, um, was fully justified and I wanted to make him proud. So um, his middle name was Harlan. And so uh, we decided to, uh, to call, to honor, honor Paul um, with uh, calling our little, our, our son after, after him essentially. So um so there's there's a really significant story there um mm-hmm. for us as a family and uh yeah my dad so i feel um, pretty honored yeah that's a uh full full circle full life story right there it's all packaged in one and it like you know what a way to start it hits you hits you right right there straight away and <clears throat> but um it's fascinating you, you talk about someone beside you who believes in you and, and pushes you to to go and follow your passion with just the last podcast we're talking about self-efficacy and, and moving away all those barriers that various aspects of society or, or interaction or media places on you. How powerful is it to have someone close to you that you know sh- shows you love, you love them back to believe in you like that? Yeah, it's... Uh... Like, as I said, it's uh, like around that time when I was trying something that was very, very different. And um, look, I would say in a nice way, there's a lot of people who didn't necessarily think it was going to be very successful um, in terms of the idea and the ideology, especially obviously with Fifth Element in terms of what I wanted to create there. Um, And the whole principle of, you know, you know, not having like a monotherapy and using all these different modalities to actually help with the healing process of people. And unfortunately there's not necessarily a lot of people who believe that would be a successful formula. Um, but he definitely, he definitely was. I mean, obviously my partner, Bianca, my parents. Yeah. Um, but he was just such a big believer in what I was, what I was creating. I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily fully understood it. Right. Mm -hmm. But he just thought he just believed because it was such a passion for me. He had just no doubt that it was going to be successful. And um, as I said, like he, he, he just, he was just always positive, like always positive. He was a tennis coach, um, but it was just, it just meant a lot for someone who, for, for someone to have just like unconditional faith in what you were, what we, what you were doing. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um uh, like obviously like it there's this huge negative behind uh, Paul passing away and, and losing him and so forth but uh, someone actually put it to me they actually said that um, there's one way of looking at it in terms of the loss but it's also looking at the the time where he passed away especially in, in terms of how pivotal it was in my journey and my and and, and my uh, you know what I was creating is potentially he had guided me through a huge proportion of my life mm. and then when he was um when he moved on that now he now he became it became like a like a guardian angel mm-hmm. um and a real driver behind you know like i i have to say like he's a huge driver behind why i really want to help people like he's a huge driver behind that without that would i have would i have had the same drive potentially not still there's a decent drive there but maybe not as much drive as I have today 
with uh, having unfortunately had going through that experience of losing Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, over, over here in New Zealand, we've just had a this sort of a bunch of young guys around uh, Hawke's Bay, where I am based, that um, as the term they put, they, they froth on a, a surfing and, and motocross and skateboarding and they put on a, put on events and, and create content and all that sort of stuff. They, they just had a, a dear friend uh, a couple of weeks ago commit suicide and then um, it was picked up by one of our radio DJs who did the same a couple of years back, lost lost a friend. And it's been, um, like you say, you never want that to happen to anybody else. And it's, and it's amazing to see the response of those people affected and, and the message and the drive to carry forward. Um, what, what's, like you said, that guardian angel thing, that thing on your shoulder to say, what's with my headspace and what's with the people around me's headspace that um, I've got to keep, be aware of? You know, wh- where does that show up now, a few years on, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, even what it's brought to the table for me, especially. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in New Zealand. I mean, like obviously men's health is just such a big thing now. Yeah, okay. Um, and you look at male suicide, I mean, it's increasing. Okay, it's, uh, the statistics are quite alarming on that. Um, I couldn't obviously comment about what the statistics are in New Zealand, but they're obviously quite alarming within Australia. Yeah, okay. Um, and with that, like, look, I, and, I, and I know some of the things that we're getting men to do, which I'm, you know, I agree with, and I'm saying that they're, they're part of the solution, but you know me, Ryan, like I also don't believe in this monotherapy. <laughs> like I just don't. Yeah. Okay. And we put it the problem is in the society, we just put too many eggs in, in one basket. And I think that's a fundamental flaw in the approach that we use in the healing process. <laughs> yeah. Is that we say, well, you know what, well, men, men need to speak up and they need to, they need to talk about things more. And I don't want to get the, I don't want the listeners to get me wrong because I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that. Okay. But I'm saying there's more to it than that hmm. as well. Yeah. Okay. Because look, I could say, you know, my grandfather, he fought in the second world war. And there's one thing that I probably learned from my grandma that Australian men have probably never talked about their problems from a very, very long time. Okay. And then, Male suicide wasn't such a big problem back in those days. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Now, once again, I'm not saying that men should not speak about their problems. Yeah, okay. They definitely should. Yeah. Okay. That's that, that is, that is one of the tools that can be used to solve this problem. But the problem is it's not the only tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like if I look at it from my perspective, what is <clears> most, one of the most alarming things with men is the severe drop in testosterone. It's, it's, it's crazy. Okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough, you know, this, I look at blood markers on a frequent basis. Okay. And if you look at something like free testosterone levels, okay. So free testosterone levels is the testosterone you have available in your bloodstream. And if you look at the medical ranges and once again, which is really based on averages. Okay. So there's flaws in that measurement. Yeah. Okay. But free testosterone levels in the medical realms is anywhere from like 200 to 700. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now there may be some evidence back in, you know, the earlier days that you know free testosterone levels in men may have been in the realms of like 800 900 so extremely high you know maybe even around the the the, the aspects of like a thousand okay and a lot of the the young men that i see like their free testosterone levels are in the realms of about 200 to 250 okay mm. and this is this is men in their you know their their late 20s okay even early 20s early 30s yeah okay and the, the, the problem that I have with this, okay, is that t- 
testosterone is what defines us as men. Okay. And obviously it's incredibly important for females as well. So I don't want to take away from that aspect. Okay. But it's what defines us as men. And also there's these, there's these poor images around testosterone as well in terms of it makes us, you know, aggressive and violent. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what I'd say with testosterone, okay. Testosterone for men, take away the, the, the superficial things that you're going to read in Wikipedia and all these types of things that, you know, it might be, you know, increased bone density, help with lean muscle mass. Okay. Now I'm not taking away from these things because of course, testosterone plays a pivotal role in these aspects in how we function. Okay. But let's just look at it. Let's just break it down. Like testosterone is so important for men because it's actually in charge of our emotional health. Okay, so it's going to actually stop us from getting things like depression. Yeah, okay, it's it's it helps with our ability to handle stress and cope with stress. Yeah, okay, these are key pivotal aspects, especially in modern society. Okay, and so there's there's if you can break it down, there's three fundamental things that affect testosterone. Okay, um, and you know I won't try and get too technical here. Okay, but you know one aspect is sleep and stress. Okay, so they basically say that one bad night's sleep could lower your testosterone levels by as much as 29%, like one bad night's sleep. Yeah, okay. So, and, and, and we, we see that. Like, I, I experience it, I see it in male clients. Okay, if they get a bad night's sleep, they're generally not waking up in the morning with an erection. Mm. Okay, they don't yeah. wake up in the morning with a, with a boner. Yeah, okay, because your, your, your testosterone levels really peak about three hours upon waking. Okay, so you should really wake up. The, 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 the analogy is like you should wake up with a tent pole. Okay? Morning, morning um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay? But, you know, uh, if we're getting extremely poor, poor night's sleep, you know, sleep deficits, whatever like, you know, uh, sleep disruption you're getting, that's going to have such a negative effect on your testosterone levels. Okay? And then obviously stress, you know, excessive production of catecholamines, stress hormones, cortisol. Okay, so these, this would be like the first area. Second area is zinc. Hmm. Okay, like, you know, they, what they say that 49% of the world agricultural soils are deficient in zinc. It's huge. Okay, and that's why zinc is becoming such a big problem. But the added burden here is like the issues within the gastrointestinal tract. Okay, because if you have issues with like hydrochloric acid, stomach lining issues, so bacterial problems like H. pylori, hmm. Helicobacter overgrowth, okay, issues in the small intestine, so complications like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, intestinal permeability, then you have problems with zinc. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's not even including the, the deficiencies in the world agricultural soils. Okay. Um, and then the, the problem, you know, with having the low levels of zinc is like zinc preserves the testosterone you have available because it stops testosterone getting converted into other things like DHT, which causes male pattern baldness, okay? estradiol beta-17, which is like estrogen. Yeah, okay? So zinc actually helps to inhibit particular enzymes like aromatase, 5-alpha yeah, okay? reductase. So it actually helps to preserve your testosterone levels. Yeah, okay? So that's another big factor. And then the other big factor is like xenoestrogens. Yeah, okay? you know, so you know, uh, chemicals. Yeah, okay? You know, like, because a lot of these synthetic chemicals and so forth, they mimic estrogen, <laughs> okay? Now, once again, if we've got a lot of food additives and food chemicals and all these types of things in our, you know, in our lifestyle, okay, that is not boding well for testosterone. So you start to add up all these things, which is what defines us as men, okay? Um, it's in charge of our emotional health. 
Okay. So once you start to add up all these things, and then a lot of the time we're looking at the free testosterone levels and someone's sitting at like, you know, 150, 200, and we're going, that's acceptable. <laughs> okay. And it's not, it's like, so why aren't we talking about this? So we're talking about the emotional state. And I think that's great, Ryan. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But why aren't we talking about the other aspects? Okay. <laughs> because the only way we're really going to solve this problem is by addressing all of it. Yeah. Not just one aspect. Does that make sense? Mate, that's making so much sense. And, and you're speaking there about an, an industrial uh, agricultural system of, of monocrop sprayed with pesticides and things like that. And then, then you look back at, uh, I don't know, have you seen, seen Sacred Cow yet? I haven't seen it yet, mate, but it's, uh, it's, on, my, it's on my list. I don't need, I'm, I'm, you don't I'm a need convert, to. mate, so I don't need to be, I no. don't need to be uh, converted. As, as, as I said when I posted that, I watched it. This is no good for my um, confirmation bias, this film. Um, but, <laughs> but um, yes. you know, deep, dark red meat, and, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan's always going on about how amazing he feels after eating Whoppity for half, half the year, and it's like deep, dark, high in carnitine, high in zinc. Um, it's no, no surprise it feels so great. That, that and yep. all the other things he has to his body, but um, it is such an experience. And you know, if we're looking at soil health, um, that uh, regenerative agricultural, regenerative grazing, you know, if, if you can take that a step further and, and get rid of the pesticides because you don't need them, that'd be that'd be bloody fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like you know, and you know me, like a big area for me is like obviously the the failings in our digestive health. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And the, the, that even one of my big arguments, and I think I've spoken to you about this before is I'm saying that the severe issues with the digestive system and our poor microbiome ratios and the issues with the epithelium and the structure and so forth, because we've got the, this damage and there's this link there with the soil. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because we're not getting exposed to a lot of the microbes and so forth that actually essentially help with a lot of this, fundamental internal structure does that make sense yeah, okay yes. and then also because we're not you know the, the soil is so deficient in a lot of these key micronutrients that we need for so many different functions that's creating a lot of like complications as well does that make sense and so and so when we start to experience like these digestive complications and these ratio issues and so forth it starts to negatively affect how we interact with even healthy food mm. Mm. does that make sense and so and so the problem there is that now it's forcing us like the issues within the digestive system are actually forcing us into these extreme nutritional outlines. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. I, always, I always talk about this, Ryan, you know, and so this, this is the birth of, you know, um, you know, vegan plant-based. Yeah. Okay. Which I could use the argument is really the reason that you feel better on this type of nutritional outline. Now I don't want people to, you know, have a go at me here. I'm just like, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Does that make sense? Is that yeah. if I've got issues with the stomach line, stomach lining, and I've damaged the little different types of epithelium, like the paratel cells and chief cells and all these different types of, you know, epithelium within the stomach lining. And then that's also created like bacterial complications. The example would be like H pylori, which is basically linked to things like GERD and acid reflux, heartburn, all these types of things gastritis yeah okay is that that affects the uh, that nullifies the acidifying effects of hydrochloric acid mm -hmm. okay and then the role of the hydrochloric acid is obviously to help you separate b12 from protein separate lipids from proteins but obviously help you to take proteins and then break them fundamentally down 
into smaller chains of amino acids. Now, if I'm not producing sufficient amounts of hydrochloric acid or it's being affected by something like H. pylori, what food group am I essentially going to be off put by the thought of eating? Well, animal proteins. Okay, so, so when you eat animal proteins, you get nausea, you maybe get gut distinction, okay? You know, it, it may cause things like belching, you know, protein synthesis issues, protein maldigestion, protein malabsorption. And so then we, you know, we would say, oh, well, you know, look, I don't feel really, I don't, I don't really feel that good when I'm eating that food, okay? And then we try to call that intuition, mm-hmm. okay? But you understand like the issues within the gut lining and the bacterial issues are forcing you, are forcing you into a false sense of nutri- uh, int- intuition. Does that make sense? It's just, and it's just like, you know, I can use the argument on the other side and, you know, yeah. carnivore, which I have, you know, I'm not anti and, and there's definitely in certain instances, instances I, I think it benefits people, especially people with autoimmune diseases, okay, people with fermentation issues in the gut, especially like SIBO, okay, a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Well, the rise of carnivore is coming as well. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, if I've got fermentation issues in the gut, okay, which means I've got, you know, gut motility issues. So I've got problems with the epithelium. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm struggling to release certain types of enzymes. Okay. To actually help me to break down glucose molecules and amino acids and so forth. You understand it means the food comes in. Okay. And then it will just sit there and ferment. Okay, and then if it sits there and ferments, so you're affecting the transit time of the food, then obviously bacteria, okay, is going to follow where that indigestible matter is or where that fermentation is taking place, okay, and then you get a higher proliferation of whether it's hydrogen producing bacterium or meth, you know, methanobacterium, so methane producing bacterium. So then you get a high proliferation of this bacterium in the wrong location of the digestive system. Does that yeah. make sense? And, okay. and then people would go, well, you know, when I eat, you know, vegetable fibers and fruit fibers and carbohydrate molecules, I get a lot of gastrointestinal distress. And I go, okay, yeah, I understand that. But does that, does that actually mean that you only really going to do better with food that doesn't sit there and ferment, for example, like animal fats and animal proteins? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So th- like, my, my big argument that I'm, that I'm trying to get across to people, Ryan, is like at least get the, the baseline right, okay? Mm. Like at least, at least, you know, correct the foundations. It would be like if you're going to build a house, okay, you're not going to go in and start putting up the walls and the roof first. <laughs> Mate, so um, where, where, does, where does one go to build a foundation? Like you, you think about elimination diet and... Um, sp- that's that's where I think you're in a privileged position compared to me in my uh, optometric greatness and they you know, what are your cable minutes? What are your what are your medications? And I'm just sitting there going, Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. You know, where do we where do we begin? Whereas they're coming to you to begin. So where do we begin? <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, look it's a it's a it's a great question and I think I can give you like a really like good analogy. Yeah, okay. Um I might have used this analogy before, but I think it's a great analogy for people to understand. Okay, is like if, if like if you've got let, let's let's if you've got microbiome imbalances, okay, whatever that microbiome imbalance might be, okay, it can completely change how you interact, even with healthy foods. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean those foods are bad. Does that make sense? Okay, 
So if I use one example, so if I had, for example, like negative gram bacteria overgrowth, now I'm not going to go into the weeds of what that actually means. Okay. But if I had pathogenic strains and negative gram bacteria, and I've got an overgrowth of this in my digestive system. Okay. So the negative gram bacteria feeds on prebiotics. Okay. And it feeds on things like starches. So certain types of negative gram bacteria would like certain starches. So it'd be like things like sweet potato and potato, pumpkin, turnip, swede, rutabaga, these types of things. Okay. And then the fruit oligosaccharides, which are like fructans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be things like onions and garlic and asparagus and wheat and barley and sugar and brown sugar and leeks, artichokes, asparagus and chicory root. Yeah. Okay. So, and, 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 and the, what people need to understand here is like they're prebiotics. So they're just food for the microbiome and they don't go down into your digestive system and call a board meeting. Okay. <laughs> and just go, well, look, I'm only here to feed the good stuff like the bifidobacterium and the lactobacillus. I mean, if there's a high proportion of the opportunistic bacteria, then they feed that. Does that make sense? Okay. So my point being is that if you have a high proportion of this opportunist, opportunistic negative gram bacteria, then that can actually dictate a lot of your food choices. Okay. And then with that, that can cause inflammatory reactions. They will release more bacterial byproducts and then those bacterial byproducts start to cause more problems. Does that make sense? Okay. And so this is where I think we're sitting, Ryan. Okay. Where we're sitting, where it becomes all like what, what, what you said, like elimination. Okay. I'll re I react poorly to that. So I just get rid of that. Okay. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm having problems with fructose maldigestion, fructose malabsorption. Yeah, so I'll just start eating. I'll, I'll just start eating. I'll stop eating fruit. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, I've got lactose intolerance. So I just won't eat anything that has lactose. You, like what people need to understand is like where you, where are you going from here? Mm. Because your food window is just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets to a point where you're just eating meat or you're just eating plant matter does that make sense okay i'm not saying some people don't do better on that i want to make that clear as well because i do think some people just epigenetically ancestrally just do better on those types of foods does that make sense but also to understand is your gut forcing you forcing you once again into an elimination where you're just getting rid of things and then it'll get to the point where your food sensitivities change every three to four months okay so it's actually built on food rotation, yeah, okay? And so if you're only eating a small handful of foods, at some point, guess what? Because you're eating them every single day, you're, you're gonna start to build up a sensitivity to those foods as well, okay? And so what I say to people is like, if, if we're gonna look at the foundations, what is the foundations of when it comes to gut health, okay? And the foundations are the epithelium. And people are gonna go, what the hell is epithelium, okay? These are mucosal cells, okay? So they're little microscopic cells that line areas of like the lungs, okay? The stomach lining, the small intestine, and the large intestine. And the way I would explain it to people, Ryan, is like the, the gastrointestinal lining and the epithelium and those little mucosal cells are the most protective physical barrier in the human body, outright, okay? So this, the skin is a barrier. Does it make sense? Okay, so the skin is a barrier. I'm not taking away from that, okay? And it's collagen. It's connective tissue. It's not the biggest protective physical barrier in the human body, okay? That is actually your epithelium. You know, a certain layer of your gut lining, it's called the mucosa, okay? And within that, you've got the lamina propria, GALT, which is gut-associated lymphoid tissue, okay? So this is all to do with your immune system because the gut is such a big player in your immune system. 
People need to understand that, yeah, okay? And if I stretch that mucosa, if I stretch that gut-associated lymphoid tissue, that would stretch for 240 to 300 meters. Unbelievable. It is an incredible protective physical barrier. Does that make sense? And so where I'm going with this is surely we need to look after the integrity of that tissue because this is the thing, Ryan, it's just tissue. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Okay. You know what I'd say to your listeners, it's not corrugated iron. It's not, it's, it's not made of tin. Okay. It's, it's just tissue. And so this is the, this is the question that I pose to people, Ryan. I go, okay, so let's look at other areas where we've got collagen connective tissue. Okay. And so we've got six different types of collagen. Type one collagen is the most common. Yeah. Okay. And so where we've got this tissue, okay, is in areas where, so we've got like tendons, ligaments, cartilage, bone, muscle. Okay. These, these are all areas where we've got, uh, uh, type one collagen and we've got connective tissue. Mm. Okay. So guess what? Your gut lining and the epithelium, these little epithelium that I'm talking about, they're essentially mainly type one collagen. So it's made of the same stuff that makes up your tendons, your ligaments, your cartilage, your muscle, your bone. Okay. And it's essentially made up of this soup. Okay. And that's key amino acids like hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, arginine, listeners. They're just amino acids. Okay, B6, so that's vitamin B6, because you need B6 to assimilate those amino acids. Vitamin C helps you repair the collagen. Okay, manganese, copper, zinc. Zinc gives elasticity to tendons and ligaments. So for the epithelium, it helps with motility, so like intestinal churning. That's the soup that we need. Okay, and so these are the things that actually help with things like your muscle, your tendons, your ligaments. Okay, so the question that I always pose to people, Ryan, okay, I always say is, can you, can you tear muscle? It's not a trick question. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can tear muscle. Okay. Can you rupture tendons and ligaments? You can definitely. Yeah. I know about it yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And can you deteriorate bone? Yes. Yes. Can you deteriorate your gut lining? Of course. <clears throat> it's just tissue. It's all it is, okay? And the problem with that tissue area is that it gets bombarded more regularly. So people get, because everyone wants to know, what's the one thing that damaged my gut line? I go, it's not one thing, it's an exacerbation of all of it, okay? And so everything so contributes, <laughs> yeah, and everything, everything contributes to that load. So emotional trauma, childhood trauma, negative emotions, fear, anger, sadness, lack of forgiveness, Okay, because you're raising like catecholamines, so stress hormones. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're stim and, and you understand when you raise things like cortisol, that stimulates your lymphatic organs. So it stimulates things like white blood cells, but you also stimulate the production of things that are actually very protective in the gut lining because they're part of the they're key players in antibody response or antigen response, like immune response. So you increase that when you're stressed. Does that make sense? Okay which means you're putting more burden on the ability to produce more of these things from the epithelium because they're producing the epithelium. They're not producing Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory's factory. Okay. They're produced within the epithelium. Does that make sense? And you don't have a, like an endless supply of these things. Okay. So yeah. So like the, the, these, these protective mechanisms, that's what people need to understand. So 
uh, are actually produced. A lot of these things are produced within the actual epithelium, within those mucosal cells. Okay. And so that's one factor of emotional trauma and childhood trauma. Then you've got food additives, you've got food chemicals. Okay. You, like the quality of water. So things like chlorine, okay. Fluoride, all these types of things. Like I'm not picking on one thing. Okay. Now gliden, which is the protein molecule that you find in gluten. Don't get me wrong, people. It's not the devil. Okay. But it's an exacerbator. Whether you're mm -hmm. celiac, non-celiac, same response. Okay. And it stimulates zonulin and tells zonulin to open the tight junctions wider okay and when you get gliden and glyphosate together which is like roundup okay well the glyphosate okay so the gliden causes that and the glyphosate causes that and that's hyperpermeability and for, so those, glyphosate, for those listening dave's uh, got two hands together and he's, and he's making the fingers go apart and then the hands go apart so you've got a channel three correct yeah, okay <clears throat> so you know if I put my hands up again, okay, you've got one epithelium and you've got another epithelium. Okay, they, they should be nice and tight against each other most of the time. And that allows them to communicate. Okay, and what happens is the top section in between those like junctions, those intracellular type junctions, which is between my two hands, okay, opens up, the top section opens up. Okay, there's another section, the gap junction that gets damaged. And that causes that widening. And that's what we basically call hyperpermeability or people would more commonly know it as leaky gut. Yeah, don't really yeah. love that terminology. Yeah, okay. But, but, they're, but they're contributors. Does that make sense? They will exacerbate the damage in the gut line. So herbicides and pesticides. Yeah, okay. Then your own immune system can damage your gut lining. So when you're producing too many pro-inflammatory white blood cells, like neutrophils, bacterial byproducts, like LPS, acetaldehyde, Okay, lifestyle factors, so alcohol, yeah, okay, mm. cigarette smoke, yeah, okay. And I can just keep on going, you know, more food sensitivities, food intolerances, anaphylactic reactions. So once you start adding up all these things, okay, that's a huge toll on the on those little epithelium. Mm. Mate, you okay? obviously with keeping with your hands in the gut, um, you have your fingers up to simulate the villi, and you spoke about motility there before. What is it that actually knocks those fingers down? So, so then you don't even have the top layer. Yeah. So look, one big factor, because obviously, once again, there's, there's many contributing factors to this. Okay. But if you look at like the, the you know, the brush borders, okay, mm. so it's a little bit like the, you know, the sea anemone. You've got the mm. tentacles at the top and then you've got the epithelium. You've got the brush borders at the top. Yeah. Okay. A big, you know, a big <clears> thing that actually causes like a bluntening of the brush borders is actually just inflammation. Mm. Okay. Now, I don't want to demonize inflammation here okay? because inflammation is a perfectly normal response in the human body. Does that make sense? Okay? Mm. Um, and it's just your body's response to a particular stimuli. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Because like, once again, training causes inflammation and that inflammatory response is actually a good thing because then we produce anti-inflammatory mediators to combat that pro-inflammatory activity and then promote repair and recovery okay? and healing. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. But when you've got too much pro-inflammatory activity and there's too many pro-inflammatory proteins and mediators that are getting produced, they will actually blunten the brush borders at the top of the epithelium. And then the problem there, Ryan, is that affects your ability to release you know, certain enzymes to enable mm -hmm. you to break down. You know, so you know, that's where you produce things like lac uh, lactose to help mm -hmm. you break down lactose. Okay? Sucrose to help you break down sucrose. Maltose to help you to break down maltose. Okay, you know, certain enzymes like dipeptidase, amino peptidase to help you to break down, you know, chains of amino acids. It's a, it's a key fundamental 
relationship. Does that make sense? Now, if I've affected those blunt and those brush borders, okay, is that going to affect my ability to release those enzymes to help me to break down those, you know, particular uh, molecules? Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. And so then those molecules come in and they sit there and they ferment. And once again, they can encourage other issues like bacterial issues. Does that make sense? And so what, I, you know, what I'm saying is like these, these epithelium, okay, and this connective tissue, its structure, the way to look at it is it's the, it's the key fundamental aspect that actually holds the environment together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the, you've heard me say this analogy, I'm sure, but I say that if we've got a forest, it's an ecosystem. Yeah. And this is an ecosystem. Like what people need to understand, Ryan, this in, in here, that's an ecosystem. And what we're doing, just like we might, might we're probably doing to the, 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 the ecosystem in terms of the, 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 our environment, okay. And forests and the ocean and all that type of stuff. There's a similar thing happening to the ecosystem internal. Mm. Okay. Because, you know, we're made up of a hundred trillion bacteria. Okay. And the way to look at it, those little epithelium that I'm talking about, if I've got a, if I've got a forest, okay. And you've got the trees and you've got the bushes and you've got the grass and you've got the soil. And then you've got the animals that live in the canopy. Okay. They live in the trees. They live in the bushes. You've got the microbes that live in the grass and the soil. And that's the ecosystem. Okay. Well, the way to look at it is the epithelium are like the trees. They're the trees and the bushes. Okay. And so the microbiome need their structure. Okay. Because remember 85% of our bacteria is good and about 15% is bad. Okay. And so they need, they need good structure to enable them to proliferate. Okay. And to keep the right ratios. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, if I go through that forest and just bulldoze all the trees down. Or, okay, or while, while you're on the ecology uh, metaphor here, or you've got a dominant species. Yes. Well, that's the thing. And that's what you, and that's what you would create when you start to fool around with the environment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And so if I go through and I just bulldoze all the bushes and the trees down, okay. Is that going to start to change the ecosystem? Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, how are the animals that flourish in the canopy and the bushes and the trees, how are they going to go? They're going to give it a try. Animal, animals like, just like in the environment, they give it a try. They're just not going to proliferate. It's just not going to be, it's just not going to be the best environment for them. Okay. Mm. But what about the animals? Okay. That live in the grass and the soil. Have they got an environment where they can still proliferate? And the argument would be they've probably got an environment where they can proliferate more now because they don't really have anything like picking them off. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. And so how we've addressed that, this problem with the ecosystem is one scenario. Okay. Is okay. I've got this environmental issue. Let's just use a nuclear bomb. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to blow up everything. Okay. In the process, causing more collateral damage to the vegetation that was going to come through. Yeah. Okay. Like the bushes and, and we just get rid of all of that. Yeah. Okay. Now we may get rid of the, the, you know, the, the, the animals that live in the grass and the soil and the, and the what I would say is the opportunistic bacteria in the environment of the gut lining. Yeah. Okay. You may get rid of that, but you're also going to get rid of everything else. Okay. And so you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to positively impact this ecosystem issue. Okay. Then we could actually look at even like a functional medicine approach and the functional medicine approach is we'll use a slightly healthier nuclear bomb. 
okay? So we'll use certain types of antimicrobials, okay? So maybe a slightly healthier nuclear bomb, which means there's less collateral damage. But once again, we're just going in there, we're trying to get rid of the opportunistic bacteria that has proliferated because of the, 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 the environment is perfect for them. Does that make sense? Okay. And then after we've done that, after we've got rid of them, let's just put more of the animals that live in the canopy and the, and the bushes. Even though they don't actually have a good environment to flourish. Okay. And so what's going to happen is they're going to give it a go. Okay. And they may do all right for a very, very short period of time, but it's going to be short lived. Okay. Because they just don't have an environment that they can flourish in. Okay. Where when I look at this problem, plant more trees. Okay. And basically that means look after the epithelium, look after the tissue. Okay. Because when that fundamentally falls down, it's like a deck of cards, Ryan. Mm. It's just like a deck of cards. It's going to affect blood sugar management. It's going to affect neurotransmitters. So it's going to affect your brain. 30 neurotransmitters are produced within the enteric nervous system. So you want to know why your brain is breaking down? There's a good chance. It's because your gut is breaking down. Mm. Okay? It's going to affect your hormonal balance. Yeah, okay? And so with that, if I give your listeners where, where you're going to start, well, what's the foundations that I need for that epithelium? Okay. And that's key amino acids that ultimately you're going to get from things like slow cooked meats, mm. bone broths, bone marrow. Okay. Because they've got the glycine, they've got the proline, they've got the hydroxyproline, they've got the compounds that I need to heal that tissue. Okay. Um, so you understand like where, where, where I'm going to go straight to is just go, well, let's start to improve the structure. Yeah, okay. You know, using things like, you know, goat's colostrum. Okay. We can use certain supplements, maybe like L-glutamine. Once again, that depends on the individual. I don't want everyone to go out and just start mega dosaging L-glutamine. Okay. But, you know, well, once again, it's just like giving the gut line and giving that tissue all the building blocks that it requires to, to heal. Do you know what I mean? And like a lot of people who are experiencing a lot of connective tissue issues, you know, they've got, tendon issues that never get better they've got rsi okay they've, they've got little niggles that never go away i'm telling you like there's a good chance if you've been seeing like you know a physio or a chiro and i'm not taking away from these people i mean it's a it's a it's a really important job okay but if you've been seeing these people for a long period of time you've been doing certain exercises to try and correct some sort of biomechanical issue okay and that's not getting better there's a good chance it's not a biomechanical issue it's a biochemical issue Okay. And once again, they've done the testing. They know people with IBD issues, which is growing all the time. So irritable bowel disease. Okay. So Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and, you know, uh, diverticulitis and these types of problems and IBS issues like irritable bowel syndrome, which really 70% of all IBS symptoms are really things like SIBO, small intestinal mm. bacterial overgrowth. So if you have these types of issues, okay, they actually did the testing and they actually, um, found that these people with IBD, IBS, they produced up to 20% less collagen. Hmm. They're producing up to 20% less collagen. How's it going to show up, Ryan? It's going to show up with like, you know, cartilage issues and bone issues and tendon issues and so forth because they're not essentially absorbing enough of the key building blocks that they need to repair the damage. Hmm. Yeah, mate, um, I've just had, uh, again, talking about confirmation bias, 
um, huge validation for my choice to be gluten-free and, and have my daughter be gluten-free. Um, I knew that I'm gluten intolerant. I've had an uh, integrative practitioner sort of suggest that as well. And uh, my 83-year-old grandmother has just been diagnosed as celiac. And I was on the phone to her saying, how's your blood pressure going? She's, she's had a history of raging 240 um, blood pressure. Um, also things like um, oh, polymyalgia, which is also on my grandfather's side as well. We've got thick Irish heritage. So again, tapping into what I hear from Dr. Libby, um, that, that celiac gene is, is rife in Irish heritage, Celtic heritage, in fact. And I said to her, how's your blood pressure? And she said, they're looking at taking me off my medications. I was like, how about that? How about that? Yeah. Information I mean, and, and fluid and just like, whew. Exactly. Yeah. And then I get like, and, and you know me, Ryan, like, I don't, and I don't want to make it out like, you know, that, that gluten is like the devil. Do you know what I mean? Because like, a no, lot of the time, no, the, the pop, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the time, the problem with like common wheat, okay, yeah. is that it's genetically modified, okay? <clears throat> so it has high concentrations of the glider molecule. So mm. for the listeners to understand that you've got gluten and within there, you've got these two protein molecules. One is glutenin and one is gliden. And a lot of people have a negative reaction to gliden, okay? And once again, where you're celiac, non-celiac, same reaction. Mm. I'm not saying that's a bad reaction, but I'm saying it is a reaction that opens up those intracellular tight junctions that I'm talking about in between those epithelium. Okay. But once again, once you get it with these sort of, uh, you know, common wheat that also has herbicides and pesticides and things like glyphosate, it's the combination together that becomes a huge problem here. Okay. Because the glide and the glyphosate together is like terrible twins. They're causing havoc. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's what's causing the hyperpermeability. Okay. And it's just the fact that they put a higher gliding concentration because you understand gliding is binding. Mm. Okay. And they want the, the bread to be more sticky and binding so they can hold their sausage in their, in their bread. And, and it's not like crumbly, like a lot of, you know, the ancient sort of fermented, you know, uh, breads and so forth that come from more of the ancient grains, like, you know, uh, things like rye and uh, triticum durum weeds, yeah, okay, which is a type of durum wheat, more commonly known as semolina, yeah, okay, um, you know, spelt, all these types of things. Because I, I want to make it clear, like, um, once you get the gut environment to a good place, okay, because they've got lower concentrations of gliden, it's not going to cause this exacerbation or exacerbate this this complication within the gastrointestinal lining. Because it's just like the way I would explain it, Ryan, it's just an exacerbator. Does that mm. make sense? So it's just making things worse, but it, it's not the sole culprit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good. And, you know, you're, you're speaking about mucus. No, mucus linings and epitheliums, you know, is someone that looks at that all day. And it's funny you're bringing up the question, you know, what was the thing that caused my gut issue? And I get the same question. What was the thing that caused my blephritis, my demodex overgrowth or overpopulation, my pinguiculas on my on my cornea, you know, you get one set of farmers come in with pristine flat white white conjunctivas and you get some orchardists come in and they've got these massive, massive lumps in the corners of their eyes and or surfers, you know, and you're like, well, what's the difference there? The farmer hasn't been wearing any sunglasses. Um, you, you just don't know. But, 
you know, and then and then same with macular degeneration or cataract as well. You know, back to that, that collagen stuff. Um, there's there's some type two there in, in the eye, but you know, it's you go life life exposure. You know, the biggest risk factor is time. You know, it's old age. Yeah. No, no, it's time. It's time under exposure to all this life. <laughs> yeah, and it's just the accumulation of all these things together. That's yeah. right, and that's why, and that's why ultimately, you know when people ask me my approach to healing these things, I, it involves like anyone who's experienced my, my protocols, they involve a lot. They involve a lot. And, and because I can't fix the gut lining with just like one thing, hmm. especially when there's been an exacerbation of so many things that have created this problem. Okay. And it's going to involve, like, if you really want to heal, you really want to get better, then it's going to involve you looking at all these different aspects hmm. to really to get you to where you really want to be, where you want to be symptom free. And because once again, you know, you look at the whole thing with symptoms. Okay. We're just constantly trying to treat symptoms. Yeah. Okay. We're just constantly trying to treat <clears throat> symptoms, but the, what people need to understand is those symptoms are just a, they're, they're just a, a result of a bigger problem. And if you want to get rid of all the symptoms, you have to address the big problem here. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's definitely what I'm trying to teach people. Ryan is like, okay, this is the symptom. This is how it's displaying, but this is the actual issue. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, if you, and if, and if you want to stop taking things like, you know, aspirin and Panadol and NSAIDs and so ibuprofen and, you know, anti-anxiety medication like Xanax and all these types of things. Yeah. Okay. You have to address the bigger problem that is actually causing these symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's and it is the paradigm of modern medicine. You know, um, myopia, so short-sightedness, is on the increase, or or reading difficulties is on the increase. And I get every parent under the sun say to me, um, "Is it the screen?" And I internally sometimes want to shout, "Well, you gave them the screen," um, but um, it's like, no, the screen is just another near task, you know. But it's the complete thing it's the environment it's it's the lack of connection it's the reason they're on the screen it's the fact that they're not outside it's the food that they're eating it's the da 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 um oh it's the blue light no well when are they on this <laughs> are they on it during the day well that's less harmful but shouldn't they be outside <laughs> it's just like yeah. how far do you want to unravel this whole thing <laughs> and, yeah, are, and that- are, are you serious or do you just want them in a blame yeah and that's the thing like i I just i just say to people it's just like how badly do you want to get better (laughs) which is sad isn't it like why do we have to be so hurt to get better yeah i mean look look like i've been there like unfortunately i had to you know push my body to the brink and i like i've spoken about that with you i'm pretty sure Yeah, yeah um but i did that i had to push my body to the brink for me to you know and it was one of the most enlightening moments in my life like I'm so the, the one thing I'd say, uh, Ryan, is that I'm so thankful for the darkest moments in my life. Yeah. yeah. Like, because, yeah. because like the, the one thing I'd say to your listeners, those darkest moments have, have been my biggest teachers. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Okay. Because they taught me so about so much about myself. Okay. And also they taught me ultimately how to heal my body. Mm. Like, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today, like helping people with serious health diseases. Yeah. Okay. 
you know, um, you know, people with serious problems, if I hadn't have experienced that myself, mm. okay, like, um, you know, Carl Jung says, you can't reach enlightenment without going through the darkness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, but what, what I basically say to people is like, when you do go through the darkest moments, yeah, okay, it's there to teach you. It's there to enlighten you. Okay. It's not there for you to mask it and ignore it and avoid it. Okay. Mate, mate you bring up Jung there. Like, I have sort of a visceral attachment to Jung through some of the people I listen to. Um, and then uh, I quite like the concept of style philosophy. I've read a bit of Ryan Holiday's sort of regurgitations on, on style philosophy. How, how close do you get into the philosophical? Well, as you know, it's not necessarily my, my thing. I mean, I think what I'm becoming more and more known for is the gut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's an area just I'm so passionate about. I'm so pa passionate about gut health. And to be honest, like, you know, those little epithelium, like I talk <laughs> about them and I'm just so fascinated by them. They're just, they're just amazing. Yeah. Something so microscopic can just be responsible for so many different functions that are just so pivotal to how we operate. Yeah. Okay? So gut for me is just such a passion. Again, I've just dived so much into that, that rabbit hole. Okay. Mm that probably I haven't come out. Does that make sense? Okay. But, <laughs> I, but I, 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 you know, you know, people like Jung and, and when it comes to the, I, I guess, you know, the, the philosophy side of things and also, you know, even the spiritual. Yeah. Okay. And also, you know, I'm not taking away from obviously how big a part in terms of what's going on in our brain. Okay also plays on our physiology you know mm. what i mean like um you know like social conditioning and limiting beliefs and childhood trauma and you know um and all like because the one thing that I, I tend to say to people is a lot of our problems started here mm. yeah and the unfortunate thing is like a lot of the things like those childhood trauma and the psychological traumas and so forth but the area that bears the brunt of that unfortunately is the gastrointestinal lining. Mm. Okay. And so when we're, you know, overburdening the HPA axis and we're producing more stress hormones, okay, this causes like a deterioration of the gut lining. So it compromises our microbiome, it compromises the epithelium. Okay. And you just got to remember when it comes to antigen or antibody response or immune response, one of the biggest areas that immune response is actually taking place in is the epithelium. Mm. Because if, if I picked up a biology book, they may give me the example of an immune response of me cutting my arm. Mm -hmm. And that creates an immune response. I'm not taking away from that, Ryan, okay? But let's ask ourselves a serious question here. How often are you cutting your arm? <laughs> not very often, okay? How often are you breathing in particles? Often. And they hit the epithelium and that creates an immune response, okay? How often are you eating food? Often. Mm. Okay, that creates an immune response. Does that make sense? It's not a free fall. Like it's not like little molecules come in and the gut lining just goes, oh, you just do whatever you want. Okay. Like it's just gotta <laughs> go, what's quiet. that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's gotta go, what's that? Yeah, we can use that. Okay, what's this? Oh, I haven't seen that before. Okay, we've got to do something about that. Does that make sense? Okay. So and there's a high amount of you know white blood cells that are actually produced within the gastrointestinal lining. 
there could be anywhere from like 10 to 20% of your circulating white blood cells okay, coming from the gastrointestinal lining. It's huge. Okay. So there's, and, and, and maybe because of the deterioration of the gut lining, that scenario and the pressure that we're putting on that could potentially be getting worse. Does that make sense? Okay. And so when that, when that gut lining deteriorates, okay, because when you look at things like neurotransmitters and hormones, you know, once again, they don't just appear in your brain. Okay. It's once again, it's not like magic. It's not like a magic show. Yeah. Okay. And these things just appear in your brain. It comes from the relationship of neurotransmitters, hormones. Okay. These, these, these compounds come from food. Okay. And then obviously the quality of the food that we're putting in our body that interacts with the epithelium. Okay. And that interaction allows the epithelium to assimilate the singular molecules that we require for these, for the building blocks for these particular compounds. And that, that, I'm not saying it's the most important relationship, but from a starting point, it's a key fundamental relationship, okay? So then the way to look at it is that your brain is heavily dependent, okay, on that assimilation process so that it's getting the building blocks that it requires for neurotransmitters and brain chemicals and so forth, yeah, okay? And so that feedbacks, that, that feeds back to the brain. Does that make sense, okay? Now, if that, if that, if that um, function is deteriorating, then it affects the brain. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's going to show up, start to show up with anxiety and depression and nervousness and neurotransmitter imbalances and mood disorders and so forth. And then the further deterioration of the gut lining, okay, because that's obviously cause, you know, further deterioration of the gut lining, I should say, okay, and causing more deterioration of what's going on in the brain, okay. Well, that starts to overburden your HPA axis, like your stress axis, and then that puts more pressure on the gut lining. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then eventually, I just I just come up with, a, with another analogy for that. It's kind of like uh, your sort of broken windows policy in a in a city. You you don't want the broken windows because it encourages more broken windows, and then another one would be that that excessive stress. And like you said, it's hard to determine what came first, excessive stress or or the inflamed gut. But we, once the vagus nerve is shut down because you're so um, fired up and ready to go, then you've basically got the abandoned neighbourhood down there and it's just, you know, hell's breaking loose, windows, windows and buildings are falling down. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people ask me because, go like, and obviously it's a lot more to it than what I'm going to say here, okay? But, but a lot of people ask me, like, okay, what's the relationship between the gut and the brain? Okay, and obviously you've got the enteric nervous system and then part of the enteric nervous system, the vagus nerve, okay? This is how I'd probably wrap up the, the, the relationship between the gut and the brain, okay? Because we, we do know that there's potentially more messages that are sent from the gut to the brain than the other way around. Yep. Yeah, okay? So the way to look at it, this is how I would summarize the relationship between the gut and the brain, okay? Now, people would say, well, what is the, what is the, um, what is the brain dependent on the gut for? I would say it's dependent on the gut enabling it to assimilate with the help of the microbiome okay, and that ecosystem, allowing it to assimilate the singular molecules that it requires for the building blocks for neurotransmitters, brain chemicals, and so forth. Okay? It's fundamentally dependent on that. And then people go, well, what is the gut dependent on the brain for? And I'd say, don't stress it out. <laughs> That's easy, man. It's simple. Yeah. <laughs> Not easy. Simple. There's the, there's there's a lot of problems. It sounds simple, yeah. Okay, yeah. but that's what I would actually say fundamentally that the gut is dependent on the on the brain for. Don't stress it out. Yeah, okay. And the the problem there is that 
and, and you know, someone who really admire, and I, I, I listen to all his podcasts, um, and he's really big in the realms of childhood trauma, you know, um, addiction is Dr. Gabor Mata. Yeah, yeah. And like, I really resonate with the, the messaging of Dr. Gabor Mata, okay, because he basically says like a lot of these childhood traumas, these negative emotions, okay, and essentially how they're associated to a lot of our diseases and ailments that we're experiencing today. And like one thing I wanted to bring up here, because I, like I, the penny really dropped with me when I, when I started, to, started to listen to a lot of Dr. Gabor Mate's podcast, because it really resonated with a lot of the messaging that I like to send out, okay? And he basically said that the, the um, key fundamental development years for emotional health is zero to three. Right. Now, what I say is when it comes to the gut lining, the key fundamental time frame for microbiome development is zero to a thousand days that's three years yeah okay the gut lining fully starts to develop by about the age of three so that epithelium that connective tissue okay fully starts to develop by about the age of three and your immune system fully starts to develop and there's there's different you know uh, ideas around this, but they say that the immune system will fully develop by about maybe the age of four to five. And the thing that I'd say here is that you look at fundamentally all these things, these, 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 these like the microbiome, emotional health, the gut lining, the immune system, they all are around a very similar time frame. Okay. And if you take one of these out, it affects the other three. And, and where it's really breaking down for a lot of people is the development of all four of those things is being affected. Mm -hmm. And when all four of those things are affected, this is going to be disastrous in terms of serious health ailments, serious diseases, autoimmune, all these types of things, which we're really facing at the moment. Okay. And a big thing that, that really, once again, resonated because and I think you used the example of multiple sclerosis. Mm. Okay. And with multiple sclerosis, it's more prevalent in females. Okay. They say maybe up to 70, 75% of, you know, um, MS sufferers are females. Okay. And he actually stemmed it to, you know, uh, sexual abuse because obviously sexual abuse is more prevalent in girls. Okay. I mean, it's, it's just, it is, um, it's an unfortunate reality. Okay. But basically if you start to look at this connection, I was really fascinated with this connection. Okay. Is that if a, if a, a girl from a very young age goes through the sexual abuse, it creates like a post-traumatic stress response or post-traumatic stress disorder within the, within the young girl. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's to be expected. Does that make sense? Okay. Because what would happen initially is she would produce high amounts of catecholamines and stress hormones. Yeah, okay. And it gets to a point where the body has negative feedback loops to protect the body. So too much, too many stress hormones, shut this down. And that creates this negative feedback loop to the brain to downregulate the production of stress hormones. But in the process of downregulating stress hormones, okay, it also downregulates other hormones that are produced within the hypothalamus, the pituitary, like, so it affects things like the HPT axis, so it affects the thyroid, so it affects the thermostat, thermogenesis, okay, your metabolism, yeah, okay? And the way to explain this is that if you're down-regulating stress hormones and even things like cortisol, 
Okay, well, cortisol actually helps to stimulate your lymphatic organs. So it actually helps with white blood cells. So you get a suppression of the immune system. So when you get the suppression of the immune system and the role of things like obviously your white blood cells and particular ones like neutrophils is to keep in check things like candida, yeast, negative gram bacteria. You understand like, like you washing your hands doesn't mean you're, you're not going to have bad bacteria in your body. Just to understand, like everyone needs to understand that bad bacteria is part of a normal ecology. It's, it's there whether you like it or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. But once again, it's the ratio that's the most important. Okay. But if we start to affect the, the ecosystem, we start to affect the ratio. And all of, a start, all of a sudden, you start to get a high proliferation of the opportunistic bacteria in that instance. Okay. The opportunistic bacteria start releasing the byproducts. We may get more hyperpermeability, so more deterioration of the gut lining. So then, you know, bacterial byproducts, one example is LPS, lipopolysaccharides, has a quicker escape route through the intracellular type junctions and it hits the hepatic portal system for your listeners. That's liver, bloodstream. Okay. And it might ramp up liver enzymes. And for a certain period of time, your body can deal with that. But then it gets to a point where it just can't keep up with the capacity to clear it. And then now there's more LPS floating around your bloodstream. Okay. And the problem is LPS can damage the blood brain barrier outside of the blood brain barrier. Okay. And just to understand certain molecules can now permeate up through the blood brain barrier. Okay. Where essentially they start to cause neuroinflammation. So inflammation in the brain. Okay. And also a lot of these things like LPS can cause things like abscesses. Okay. Hmm. And also they would cause things like lesions. Okay. And that's like plaquing in the brain. And essentially that's multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hence why multiple sclerosis can be linked to certain types of negative gram bacteria overgrowth. But what I find really interesting here, you had the, the, the trigger, which was the stress response and the overproduction of stress hormones and so forth that ruined the environment. And then it ruined the environment and it created the bacterial overgrowth. And then the byproducts in the, uh, from, the, from the bacteria, when they had an easier escape route through the gut lining, and then the body couldn't keep up with the clearance, and then there was more LPS, and then that started. Because once you, once you lose the, 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 the gut lining, the, the, the big thing to say with the gut lining is the gut lining is a, is a very protective barrier for your brain. Mm-hmm. And, once you, and, and so once you lose, so yes, you've got the blood-brain barrier, but it's just more vulnerable. It's just not, it's not structurally as robust as the epithelium within the gastrointestinal lining. Okay. And so now that is more vulnerable when that deteriorates, this is more vulnerable. Okay. And then all of a sudden, okay, once again, these, you know, byproducts and so forth are passing through the blood brain barrier. And then they cause the, 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 the complications within the brain. But you understand, Ryan, what we look at is we look at the end result because mm. that now that's where the symptoms are displaying. And then we treat the end result and we don't actually treat where the problems actually started from, including the emotional trauma and the childhood trauma and the emotional state. And also including the gastrointestinal lining and the microbiome imbalances. So we just go straight to the, the end area. We go straight to the end area to treat that. But once again, we're using, it's a, it's a one trick pony. Yeah. Okay. And once again, I'm not, I'm not taking away from that to, to mitigate the symptoms, make the person feel better. But once again, to fix the problem, you're going to have to go and fix where the problem started from. Once again, that, that emotional trauma and that childhood trauma, but also the deterioration of 
the most protective physical barrier in the human body. Mm-hmm. Mate, how, I, don't, I don't know. Like myself, I've done two degrees. I've uh, worked now for eight or so years. Meanwhile, looking at various articles that come across, um, sort of follow two sides of, of the carbohydrate argument, insulin argument, cholesterol argument on Twitter and try to read either sides of the story. Um, luckily, having a science base, I can sort of understand what they're talking about in, in the papers. Um, and you yourself have, like you said, gone deep into the rabbit hole of this, you know, at a cellular, at a um, biochemical level of what's going on and then working out from that. And and, it's, and it speaks to the sort of first principles approach to, to health and, and life and downstream effects and big picture, small picture, what's going on, how, what are the sort of levers that I can pull for the general population, what sort of things, how often should they be looking at and for in their blood work? Like um, one of the things Nigel Beach has sort of said that, you know, something as simple as CRP, and you, you um, spoke about, you know, what's, what's normal in inverted commas, and, you know, that's mm. above three, but really you should be down one, you know, six. If you're six, that's, that's too high. You know, and and then again with CRP, make sure you haven't had a cold. <laughs> make make yep. sure you you've uh, haven't had a stressful week. Make sure you haven't had done a gigantic workout, and go into those those tests faster and and see your results. <laughs> like what 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 do you, how do you feel about blood work? You just brought it up at the start. Well, obviously it's it's, it's my big thing. Yeah, like blood work, I would say because I've actually created a blood software which I'm really excited about. Um, it's got my correlations in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually put in the information and it actually spits out the real problems because what, what people need to understand Ryan is that a lot of the way that people are looking at blood markers is they're looking at the individual markers <laughs> and they're trying to treat the markers so even if I look at CRP and so for me I like people to be under one exactly like you said okay it's a sensitive marker yeah. that's the problem so if I look at CRP in isolation it's not going to tell me much does that make sense? Okay, because, you know, the person might have had an acute injury, like some yeah. sort of trauma to a tendon or ligament or something like that. That can elevate the CRP. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. The, mo- the, the, the most important information is the trends and the correlations, mm. not me looking at an individual marker. Let me give you an example here. Okay. So if I look at something like hemoglobin, mm-hmm. okay. So most of the time, because once again, they're looking at it and go, well, that is low. What can we do to boost this up? Or this is high. What can we do to bring that down? I'm not there to treat individual markers. I'm there to treat the problem. I'm, I'm, I'm there to identify. It <laughs> just makes too much sense, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's the thing. Like, but, we, we, but what we end up doing is treating individual markers. Yeah. Okay. And so if you look at something like hemoglobin, okay, and obviously this is due with your red blood cells. Yeah, okay. And so one component that makes up your hemoglobin is iron. Yeah. Okay. And then, and, and then a common scenario that takes place when looking at the hemoglobin, even, even sometimes not even looking at the iron or looking at the iron and seeing that the iron is normal. Yeah, okay. Is, is that they look at the, that the hemoglobin is low and saying, well, what a key component that makes up the hemoglobin is iron. So here, take iron. Now iron. so just for listeners to understand that iron is highly toxic in the body. Okay. Hence why you've got ferritin because it's a carrier molecule for iron and it helps to store iron. Okay. So essentially 
because once again, it, it just doesn't want high amounts of iron within the bloodstream. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Because mm -hmm. it's toxic. Yeah, okay. So the thing to understand is in that instance, if we take iron infusions, yeah, okay, iron supplements, okay, especially if you've got like negative gram bacteria issues, okay, and then that negative gram bacteria and, and potentially things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and then these bacteria have colonized together and then they've created a biofilm. And that's like a sticky mucilage, like a protective membrane that's made up of like DNA and proteins and fluids and ions, but heavy metals like mercury, cadmium, iron, okay? Um, you know, these types, these, these types of uh, heavy metals, okay? That basically, and iron, okay? So it uses iron, okay? And so the thing is it prefer, prefers, you know, to, to, to help with the biofilm, okay? It prefers iron supplements and iron infusions. So if you look at it and just go, well, you've got low hemoglobin here, take iron. And then they've got negative gram bacteria overgrowth and they've got biofilm issues. Then you essentially just made that problem worse because if someone just had low iron and then you give them iron, essentially they're going to feel better. But a lot of people, they have the iron supplements, they have the iron infusions, they feel worse. Okay. And so this is the problem here, Ryan. Okay. Because if I look at hemoglobin and I look at all the components that make up hemoglobin, Yes, iron, iron ions, not taking away from that. But you also need B6, that's pyridoxin. Okay, you also need B12, that's cobalamin. Okay, you also need B9, that's folate. Okay, you also need vitamin A because that helps with your stem cells. Okay, you also need copper because that helps with the absorption of iron into the gastrointestinal line. Okay, you also need glycine, that's the building block for heme, that's an amino acid. Okay, you also to metabolize. The glycine, you need Escherichia coli, that's E. coli. Okay, to help you synthesize the B9, you need Streptococcus thermophilus. There's nine things that I need to actually have good hemoglobin, and we just looked at one. Yeah, mate, it's um, bringing, bringing a couple of thoughts to mind. Um, a guy I've get head on here, Ivor Cummins, a sort of a chemical process, medical engineering person, and then today I was listening to a bloke. Uh, two engineers actually having a discussion. Um, Lex Friedman was talking to this guy that worked on the little um, antibody quick screening for COVID. And he, that's what he was basically saying is that they need to start public health engineering because we need to start looking at a full systems, full data approach to medicine. Not like you say, one marker, one thing. Let's uh, let's look at yeah, and, and, as, a, as a systems approach. And that was just, that was the same for Ivo. He, he spoke about he had some liver markers that were high, and everything else was you know verticom is good. And he said to his GP, "What does that mean?" And he said, uh, "I don't know." <laughs> and so he had to, to put his engineering hat on, read a bunch of papers. Again, another person that's lucky enough to understand how to read a paper and how to select data, understand the statistics, and then price price things away, and and realised that he was at a great risk for a heart attack you know a typical 50, 50 year old engineer guy going shit i could have fallen over but you know he, he's he's managed yeah. to now dive into that world but like yeah it takes a takes a full systems engineering approach yeah and so <coughs> like you know for for the listeners to understand is that when i look at blood markers i'm looking at the relationship of one blood marker to another mm -hmm. then also I'm, I, I actually want your past blood markers the problem is, is that we're looking at everything in moment in time. We're not looking at what's, what was happening to you five years ago. I want that information. I need that information, okay? Because it's telling me the trends. 
it's, it's telling me where the, the problem started from. And that might've been the acute phase of the problem. Mm. And now it's become chronic. Does it make sense? Because what people need to understand with blood markers, if I just look at a moment in time, there's many different scenarios behind that. Okay. And also what people need to understand is that healthy bloods generally ebb and flow. Mm. And people might go like sitting back and just thinking about that and go, isn't that erratic? And I go, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> they'll be up and they'll be down. And they'll be, just once again, it's just like, that's the normal function of the human body. Okay. And what is not normal for me to see in bloods is for something to be low all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, what would be the chance that every time you've had your bloods checked over five years, that something is always sitting low. That's something chronic. That's something that's not going away. So whatever you're doing in your life, okay, that's not going away. And what would generally not go away? Bacteria, mm-hmm. gut lining issues. Okay. Unless you fix it, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I can promise you like retroviruses and viruses. Yeah. Okay. These things eventually they go away. Okay, bacterial complications, gut lining damage, unless you've fixed it, it's not going anywhere. Mm. Okay, and so that's a lot of the trends that when I'm looking at people's blood markers, I'm going, well, isn't this interesting? Yeah, okay, like things like the MEBs, the monocytes and the eosinophils and the basophils, there's a total amount of that. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they're like, pro- you'd almost classify them like pro inflammatory white blood cells. Mm. And when they're constantly high, okay, you know, like sitting in the like I've obviously got my optimal levels, but they're sitting high all the time. Yeah. Okay. That that's actually a sign of hyperpermeability taking place in the gut line. Hmm. So if they're regularly high like that, then I'm going, okay, hyperpermeability is taking place. I use obviously other blood markers as well to support that. And then I will basically back it up with how they're feeling. Cause most of the time, how I look at it is I look at the blood markers first. Okay. I already have an understanding of how they're feeling. And then basically I go, well, this is the problem. This is how you'd feel. And they just go, yep, yep, yes. How do you know? Okay. Like they just, and they just like, you can see them just looking at me, just going, oh my God, how does he know that this is how I'm feeling? Hmm. Because it's the, like, I, I've identified the problem. Hmm. Does that make sense? I'm not identifying symptoms. I've identified the problem. And then the problem, the problem, that's the symptoms that you have with that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not Does reading minds. You're reading uh, information and data and trends. <laughs> yeah, and so like, and so like, what I'm picking up in people's blood markers, okay, I will pick up, you know, certain markers that are a reflection of negative gram bacteria. Mm-hmm. So you've got really elevated fasting insulin, okay. If you've got really, you know, inconsistencies with your white blood cells being really high but also really low, your GGT, gamma glutamyltransferase, is the liver enzyme. Now, unfortunately, in the medical realms, they just use it as a fatty liver indicator caffeine sensitive okay they'll go okay so that's we'll just say oh you know some sort of complication with fatty liver and i go well you know ggt it's 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 like that liver enzyme gamma glutamyl transferase it's the glutamyl cycle but it's a reflection of the glutathione cycle the master antioxidant so it's your ability to synthesize really telling me your ability to synthesize glutathione which is one of the best reflections of longevity if you're asking me okay so as well as Uh, most important for cataracts that's, it's, that's, it's what, that's, what drops, that's what drops down um, as a cataract forms. It's glutathione. Yeah. Well, you're talking about your mitochondria and your cells. Yeah, okay. Like glutathione. Yeah, okay. Your yeah. ability to recycle other antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E. Glutathione. Yeah, okay. Your ability to, you know, it plays a role in phase one and phase two liver detoxification. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Your ability to clear plastics and heavy metals and bacterial byproducts. 
glutathione. And you actually look at it, like, as I said, glutathione is one of the best reflections of longevity. Okay. Mm. And like, you look at someone's like GGT levels. Now, what I'm looking at it for to understand what someone's glutathione pools are doing. Not, not telling me some sort of symptom of fatty liver or something like that, okay? It's telling me where their glutathione pools are sitting. So the GGT is always sitting low. It's telling me that they have a poor capacity to synthesize decent amounts of glutathione from the liver. Hmm. And what I'm assessing is what's causing that, okay? Well, bacterial byproducts like LPS catabolizes your glutathione pools, okay? <laughs> So if I'm looking at it and the fasting insulin is really high, the GGT is really low, okay? they have these inconsistencies with their white blood cells. So you understand that then it's the correlations. okay? And I don't want people to just like these correlations I've created. I don't want people to just like go applying these willy nilly okay? because it doesn't necessarily mean you understand the correlations. Does that make sense? Okay. So, but it, I take these correlations and then I go, well, that's actually a reflection of negative gram bacteria. Okay. And so I actually know what the bacterial issues are that they're dealing with. Now, if I want to, then obviously I can just do stool testing to confirm that they have the negative gram bacteria overgrowth. <laughs> okay. And so now I know essentially what they're going to be experiencing because a lot of people with the negative gram bacteria overgrowth and the excessive amounts of LPS, they tend to have like bluntening of the brush borders. Okay. They're going to have issues with pancreatic beta cells. So they're having inconsistencies with insulin. So blood sugar management dysregulation. There's more pro-inflammatory proteins. So they tend to have more inflammation, especially where they've got articular cartilage. Okay, so like puffy fingers, sore fingers. Okay, another area you've got high articular cartilage, like the neck. So the neck tends to be tight all the time. They're stretching it all the time. Okay, it doesn't matter how much they release their upper traps. They're always tight in the neck. Okay, they tend to, you know, also have, you know, almost like sinusitis type scenarios, blocked ears. Okay, you know, dull pain behind their eyes. Okay, tend to get like blocked nose. Okay, they tend to be congested a lot of the time. Okay, and they get like brain fog. Okay, like this dull feeling, this light feeling in the head. Okay, um, and then you can also be more prone to autoimmune conditions, urinary tract infections, pneumonia, meningitis. Okay, so once again, it's just like, it allows me to identify. And then they obviously having issues with the fruit oligosaccharides, potentially the starches. Okay. So it allowed, like, if I look at the bloods and I look at it in the correlations, Ryan, hmm. then I can identify the actual real problem. It's too easy. But, not if, I, but, but, not, if, but not, not if I look at it in individual, like if I just look at individual markers. And just start addressing things based on the individual markers. Because the thing that I would say, Ryan, is that once again, the hemoglobin is not the issue. The hemoglobin is a symptom of the issue. Mm-hmm. And if I just address, address the hemoglobin, I'm addressing the symptom. So I think as a, as a patient, then, oh. I don't know. I don't know what what the advice is. How do how do you ask more wise in a in a is is this just medicine is broken? <laughs> I, get, just, I get a little bit disheartened disheartened on this on this topic. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, people <laughs> to get pessimistic when they listen to me because I'm very optimistic. Good. About, about, give us some optimism. <laughs> yeah, about the 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 future, because if we start. It's not to say that 
understanding the individual markers and un- like specialization is required. Mm-hmm. I agree. That makes sense. <laughs> and I, I feel like we've gone through a period of specialization and maybe for a reason. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. But the body does not work in compartments. No. And that's the problem. Because if I always look at the head and I'm just looking at the issues in the head, and I've only got someone who's looking at the issues in the head, then I'm missing the gut. And likewise, if I'm only looking at what's going on in the gut and not looking at what is going on in other areas of the body, then I'm missing potentially the head. Mm. Or I'm missing some other area in the body. Does that make sense? Okay. And I think all our years in going through this specialization is really setting us up to become more generalist. Mm. Okay. I'm going to add some optimism to that as well, <clears throat> as well in sort of it's, it's this next tier. You're right. It's this next tier coming through. For example, my, as I said with my grand, her new GP going down this broader, broader road. We've got a, just had a, a new dermatologist come to the country um, who's explored his genetics. He understands, you know, He's got a family history of keratoconus. He's got a family history of, of type 2 diabetes. He understands that the skin being an organ is reflective of, you know, is a manifestation of the body. Um, we've got an ophthalmologist now who's, who's a maxillofacial specialist, but also a glaucoma specialist. She understands that glaucoma is a problem with metabolism. Does this person have sleep apnea? What else is going on? You know, we're starting to see these conversations happen in medicine and health of why, why, why not? You've got glaucoma, let's lower your eye pressure. <laughs> you know, you've got yeah. dermatitis, here's a steroid cream. <laughs> and, and even in the aspect, so, and I'm not, like, I don't want people to get me wrong here. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, essentially, this is just about us getting better. Yes. It's just, it's just growth. This is all I'm talking about here. Like the worst thing you can do is just stay stagnant and say, that, oh, we've got the formula because we know we don't have the formula. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This is just about growth. This is all I'm talking about. So, you know, in the example of something like nutrition, how can someone learn nutrition? I'm not, and I'm not taking away from people who've learned nutrition. I'm not having to go here. Okay. But how can I learn nutrition and not understand gut health? Yeah. You have to learn about gut health. You have to understand microbiome back to front. You have to understand the epithelium. Because the problem is then you're applying a technique that is based on perfect scenario and perfect scenario does not, we're we're dealing with human beings here and that does not exist for many people. Okay. And so if you don't understand the particular microbiome makeup and how's that, how that's affecting someone's ability to metabolize normally, completely healthy compounds and so forth. Yeah, okay. There's no way it's like the analogy I would give. It's literally like pin the tail on the donkey. Hmm. Yeah. And like, I just think that the paradigm that is there to be changed. Yeah. And it is. And so that's where we get excited. Yes. That's yeah. where I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Because I think the new paradigm needs to be, you want to learn about nutrition. You've got to learn about the gut. Nice. Yeah. And that's only one example. Does that make sense? Okay. Now you, you don't want to learn about the gut. Well, maybe don't learn about nutrition. 
I know that might wind people up, but I'm just saying it's also there for people who've learned about nutrition. It's there for growth for them. That's exciting. I, you have got me excited as well to uh, read some papers. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure people are going to want to want to come find you. Where, where do people find you now? Um, still Dave O'Brien, aren't you? Yeah, I'm still Dave O'Brien. Um, look, obviously, I, you, look, I've, I've stepped away from Fifth Element. Um, not an easy, um, definitely not an easy decision. It's not something I ever wanted to do. Um, because the one thing I say with Fifth Element is like part of my soul. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's an expression of myself. Um, but also the, the thing that I love so much about Fifth Element is that it just encapsulates like all that aspect of not believing in a, uh, a monotherapy and that you use all these different modalities and ideologies to really help the healing process. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I never really wanted to step away from. And, you know, look, if I'm honest, I'm always honest. Um, if I'm really honest with it, it actually came down to, um, there was huge financial pressure for myself and my family. Um, and really I was, trying to think of, of really how I get the message out to more people. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like I needed to change the vessel. Um, and I like, right. I would never take away from the seven close to seven and a half years of fifth element because like fifth element, apart from all the amazing people that walked through the door and all the amazing people that I just feel so blessed that have come into my life um, as a consequence of setting up that that place that just had this most amazing energy Hmm. i'm just i'm extremely grateful for every single encounter that i had as a result of fifth element because it's just it's made me a better person you know um and the, the one thing also that i would say that i'm extremely grateful for from a growth aspect for me is fifth element was like a lab to me I was like a mad scientist, okay, locked away in my office. Um, and that just enabled me to have the space, not always the time, okay, um, but had the space to, to really start to utilize these tools, like looking at blood markers, like looking at what's going on with the gut, okay, uh, and to explore. It was a time for exploration and really coming up with systems and structures that really changed people's lives for the better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, that was the vessel for a long period of time. And, you know, if I'm the, the, there's one thing I've always been prepared to do. If I feel like the vessel needs to be changed to enable that, to get out to more people and to help more people, then I'm willing to change that vessel. Um, and that's really I guess the, the leap of faith that I've taken is to, and it didn't come easy. It definitely didn't come easy, but I know like all the people that I love so much from, from, from that place, the members, the, the staff, I know ultimately they'll just come straight back into my life. Um, that's why ultimately I'm not scared. I'm more scared. I'm more scared about not getting, this stuff out to people. I'm more scared about that. 
Um, so I've changed the vessel. Yeah. And yes, you know, I've had to let go of a, a you know, a huge part of that. Um, but I'm also excited about that. I'm also excited about that. And, you know, yes, at the moment, it's coming under the Dave O'Brien brand. Um, but just so people understand is the ideology is still there. Like nothing, nothing, nothing has changed. Um, only the, the physical vessel. The in, yeah. The intention and um, my love of helping people that will never change. It'll just only get stronger to be honest. That's really cool, man. And um, I saw you uh, got to be a part of a, of a new vessel the other week. Finally, uh, Mr. Mark Kluwer's, um venture, his, his dream coming true. Um, what was it like to see that man? You've, you've had a big influence on that, that man's life. And wow, what a spot. Elevated planes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I want to make clear is like, look, I, I, I feel really honored that people would say, you know, how much of an influence that I've had in helping them with their own health journey and so forth. But I always say, Ryan, that I've got as much out of those interactions as, as they've got from me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and the, the one thing with Mark is that like, you know, for us, the clues, okay. So, Jules and, and Mark and, you know, Mahalia and Lauren, okay. The clues to us, they're like family. Yeah. Okay. Like, and we feel so blessed and, and, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm so honored that I can actually bring up two young children, get to spend time with such amazing people. Mm. Um, and, you know, with Mark, he's such a contagious energy. You know, um, you know, you, you can't help but want to be around Mark. You know what I mean? And he he just makes you a better person. Yeah. Like, and he's made me a better person. He might he might say the the good things that I've done for him, but trust me, he's made me a way better person for being around him. Um, and so, like, I I just can't wait for people to see what he's created at um, Elevated Springs because it is like truly amazing. And it's just like, you know, you know, one of those things, and I would have said the same thing about Fifth Element for a period of time is like, you know, photos never do things justice. Yeah. Um, and I always found that with Fifth, like, you know, I look at the photos and go, it doesn't look as good as when you're actually sitting here. Yeah. Uh, and, when you're, and when you're there, you just go, oh my God, the energy here and everything is just so special. And it's the same thing with what Mark's created, Elevated Springs. So whatever you're looking at in the photos, trust me, when you're there in person, it's uh, 20 times better. Yeah. So whatever, whatever I tell you now, Ryan, is really not going to do it justice. And so really it's uh, for anyone who's, who wants to experience a retreat, with really all the elements that really retreat should have. Okay. Not like lemon detox cleansers and, uh, you know, these, these types of things. Yeah. Okay. We've got to get away from this the traditional form of like, you know, health retreats and so forth. You know, you want to experience like, you know, ice baths and sweat lodges and, you know, um, great community and working the land and, you know, uh, being in nature, I mean, 
I think this is just going to be the new paradigm of, uh, of retreats. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so honored to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever help Mark needs from me, like I'm always going to be the first one to put my hand up. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, um, Mark and I have a shared passion for that. That's for sure. Um, so Dave, what would you say you've learned this year? What a year, um, what's been the sort of North star to keep you keeping on moving, man, keeping on, you know, being there with your family, putting out content, focusing on that, that, that integrity and what's core to you, what's, what's kept it going. Look, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, Ryan. Okay. Like, like 2020 for us as a family has been incredibly hard. Mm. Like it's, it's been incredibly hard. I know everyone's got their, their, their own stories. Um, you know, we, we, we made the decision to, to look after um, Bianca's terminally ill dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and, and so he passed away with us. Um, that was incredibly hard and I, I, the respect that I've gained for, for Bianca has just watching that, her look after uh, a small child, she was pregnant, to look after a terminally ill father, it just pales in comparison to anything that I've had to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just the reality. Yeah. Um, so as traumatic as that has been, Ryan, we also feel incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed that he got to pass away here with us. You know, I, the, the, the thing that I've said before, Ryan, I've said to people, I've, we sort of come into the world and there's an element of trauma there. Yeah, okay. It's painful. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a bit of blood. Yeah. Okay. Um, but ultimately you're surrounded by the people that, that care about you the most. And the one thing that we feel really blessed with Vic is that he got to leave this world being surrounded by the people that really loved him the most. Hmm. But what, 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 so people might look at it and say, this is really traumatic, but we like, trust me, we sit back and we think how blessed we are to, to, uh, to, for him to have gone out that way. Yeah. Hmm. And so this is the one thing I'll say, like, you know, and to, to, to leave a business that has been such a huge, part of my soul and an expression of myself and that it's, it's just the memories. Okay. And the people that have walked through, through the doors, um, you know, people like Josh Komen, you know, Mark Kluwer, just ultimately like it just attracted such amazing people to let go of that. You know, I remember like my exit speech and I had a lot of things that I wanted to say and all I did was cry for an hour. That's all I did. I just cried for an hour. And that tells you how much that place meant to me. Mm. And a lot of people said, I, and I felt so embarrassed that I didn't, couldn't even say anything about seven and a half years of my life there. And people said, you didn't need to say anything. Mm. Yeah. Now I can look at that and say, this is traumatic and this is terrible. Or I can look at it and just go, how, how, how blessed am I to have experienced that and to have had a lab that's enabled me to, to create tools that I really think can better people. Um, and that's once again, it's, and that, that, you know what I said to you almost right at the start where I said, a lot of people look at the darkness yeah, okay, and they look at it as an inconvenience. They look at it as like, how do I escape it? And, 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 and for me, 
I embrace it. Yeah. Um, because it's just like, once again, I'll look at 2020 and I can say it's, it's been painful. Yeah. And it's been hard. Okay. But ultimately it's made me better. Yep. Couldn't agree more, man. Thank you so much for your time, Dave. Um, it's been so good to do this again and we'll have to do it a bit more frequently and hopefully we can get some of this, uh, travel stuff sorted and I can finally get to Melbourne again and connect with so many amazing people that I've met there and, and, you know, give you a hug and go to places like uh, Elevated Springs and yeah, just, just can't wait. Can't wait to get over there and and visit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd love that, mate. I mean, I I think the one thing and I'm, I'm sure you're the same is that, you know, this is great and this is great that we can do this over zoom and so forth, but, you know, human connection and um, nothing beats it. Absolutely. Yeah, like, like nothing beats it. Um, and, you know, how healing it is on the body and is, uh, is second to none. Yeah, so um, I look forward to that embrace, mate. Brilliant. I'll press stop and, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Have a breath. Through the nose, yeah, the nose. <laughs> you need to engage that uh, vagus nerve. We we're talking about stretching the stomach, and um, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting what we can learn, what we can understand, how we can be better, how we can grow, and I think what well, what I took away from from what's got Dave through this year is perspective. Um, and I spoke about Stoic philosophy there, and I think Buddhism is sort of accepts the concept of suffering and finding the growth, finding the beauty in the dark moments. Definitely on Saturday, that run, and often walk, sometimes crawl, was dark. <laughs> And the further I get away from it, the more comfortable I feel. Um, Obviously, still hurting. Um, And if you saw the Stagrill Instagram, you would have seen that I made the decision to to change that run to the 53, um, which was hard to do, and I can't help feel like I'm disappointing a number of people. But, um, yeah that's probably real um prior to all this training the longest i'd run was 12ks i've run three three or longer than marathons in this training i've done plenty of half marathons in this training you know half marathons before going to work (laughs) and so I definitely feel the fitness is there, but these these ligaments, six months isn't isn't enough to prepare for 101 kilometers as much as I'd love to do that. Um, I was listening to Lydia O'Donnell talk the other day um, to Brody Kane, and, and one of the things she was sort of talking about is sort of getting her athletes to be realistic about you know that it should take you two years to train for a 
marathon or half marathon. I was listening to that going, well, that sounds like really good advice. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, I've got a long training history with, with rugby and water polo and swimming, um, but ultra running, it's no joke. Um, yeah, I've, I've got full credit to uh, the likes of Hal's, Hal's Woodworth, who, who was the person that said always enter the longest race. When I was going into the 53 and I, and I took her up on that challenge, I, I um been been doing the program for that intention. But yeah, we're uh, two and a half weeks away. You know, <laughs> actually got the got the uh, entry change. You know, outside of the of the the period, they they let me do that. I suppose they don't want to be peeling broken people off the course. Um, and yeah, so that that's what's going to happen. I'm still going to get that awesome view from out the top of Mount Herbert. I just uh, might miss the the sunrise at Akaroa Harbour, but um, I'm sure it will be uh, pretty good at Port Levy too. So yeah, it's going to be a great day, and I'm bloody excited about getting down south. Um, as I said in the last podcast, if you see me around, I'll be at Subfocus on the 30th, Stone Cold Sober, so... Yeah, I'll be good for yarn and um, yeah, down down Monica for a few days, um, Invercargill, Dunedin, Christchurch. Um, yeah, sing out, see if we can uh, catch up. Be bloody good. This is gonna be the last episode for the year. Um, it's too much shit on. Although I might, I'm gonna bring the bring the microphone with me and the laptop with me. So you never know. You might get a little bonus episode in the next couple of weeks if I can um, find some time and find some internet to upload it. If not, well, obviously a happy Christmas because it won't be an episode before Christmas. And if we don't get one in between, have a great new year and I'll see you in January. Lots of love. Um, as Dave said, you know, cherish and, and value the blessings of, of being around people that you love. Um, have a good one.